It's sure good to be back here with you after a week away on retreat, although it was sure good to be away on retreat. I was in Chicago for the week. I planned to go to a Benedictine monastery up there that I'd been to before. It's an urban monastery. It has this interesting, unusual connection with the Byzantine tradition. Their liturgies are really just quite beautiful. They ran a B&B, a couple of flats they rented out, and people who could stay there would then go over and participate in those liturgies. But for whatever reason, they no longer rent those flats out, maybe even own them. So I ended up staying at a rectory and watched the priest be so busy with confessions and all sorts of duties. I was proud of it. All I had to do was pray. It was good. It was restful. Say a word of thanks to everyone who helped move all those heavy pieces of furniture last week and those boxes of books. Everyone who helped clean the new place. Give a shout out, especially to the Knights of Columbus. You guys have been extraordinary throughout this whole project. It couldn't have been done with, without them. I never actually had finished unpacking. I'm still unpacking now, but when I moved in here, one of the rooms was filled with storage stuff, and by the time it was freed up, well, other things had developed. So it is nice to begin to feel somewhat settled. This marks the completion of two big projects. This one here, Southside, and the rectory. There's still lots of small things to do, but we're more or less finished. And then we do have to sell that former rectory, but I understand that the market is ideal for selling, so maybe it'll be on the market for 24 hours. I don't know. The completion of these two projects are kind of like an advanced participation in the completion of our parish campaign and construction projects, which we'll soon need to focus on again, especially because we're growing. You look at most of the masses, not 7.30 so much, but all the other ones, it would be hard to fit too many more families in our church. So we're going to need to focus on the new projects, unless we can get our seminarian, George, who's, I think, backlighting incense, <laughs> charcoal, unless we can get him to be assigned here as an associate, but I think that's unlikely. George, we're happy to have you, even if we can't see you. <laughs> advanced participation participation in advance of the full reality that actually helps us to understand the pairing of our first reading with the parable of the prodigal son it seems a little strange on the surface what has the celebration of Passover remember what Passover was remember that the last of the plagues in Egypt when the destroyer came through, and all the firstborn of the land would be killed, except for those who had the blood of the lamb smeared on the doorposts and lintels of their house. And death, the angel of death, would pass over them. What has the celebration of Passover and the eating of the produce of the promised land and the secession of the food of the manna in the desert got to do with the parable of the prodigal son, Forgiveness and even celebration and music. 
Well, the Israelites had wandered in the desert for 40 years with a cloud guiding them, which is part of the reason why we used incense to remind us of that. God's mysterious presence guiding them for 40 years in the desert. 40 is symbolic for a fitting time, the time necessary to accomplish a task. Now, that task was described in the opening line of the first reading. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have removed the reproach of Egypt from you. You are nothing but slaves. That was the reproach of Egypt. The Israelites had to learn how to be free through observing the commandments, worshiping God, and trusting in him while they were in the wilderness. Then they would be free and able to possess the promised land. But that training was soon forgotten, ignored, or rejected by most Israelites. The faithful ones looked forward to that day when God would return and reconcile the world to himself. This hoped-for event was often described as a feast, a banquet of rich foods and choice wines for all peoples, like the meals Jesus shared with sinners and saints. The final heavenly banquet of the true promised land was brought into the present in Jesus and the reconciliation he effected with the Father. Whoever is in him, we heard St. Paul, is a new creation. The produce of the promised land is participated in in advance. Like every time you go to confession, it's brought into the present. You experience something of the produce of that promised land. The same is indicated by including music in the celebration of the prodigal son's return. In the book of Revelation, John describes seeing in heaven the lamb whose blood had been smeared on the souls of those who had passed over to the promised land. With the lamb was a multitude of people with his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And John wrote, I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of harpers playing on their harps, and they sing a new song before the throne. No one could learn that song except the multitude who had been redeemed from the earth. The musical harmony of heaven is brought to earth with forgiveness of sins and reconciliation. You're nothing but slaves. In Jesus, the reproach of Egypt, the reproach of Satan, has definitively been removed. But this comes at a cost and requires its own type of training. The crucifixion makes this clear, as does the stations of the cross that surround us. Reconciliation requires effort, cost, even pain. Something really is required to affect it. This is also apparent in the parable. For a son to request his share of his father's estate in Jesus' day was effectively to wish that his dad was dead. And it likely would have required the father to sell part of his estate. It was awfully hard to cash out stocks back then. Not only would this have cost the father much material loss, 
but the terrible emotional pain of this request would have cost him dearly. Parents who've experienced rejection of what they hold dear or themselves know something of that pain. Because of his goodness, the father was profoundly grateful to have his son return. But receiving him back, forgiving him as he did, was costly as well. Pope Benedict XVI describes forgiveness like this. Guilt is a reality. It has caused destruction that must be repaired. For this reason, forgiveness must be more than a matter of ignoring, a merely trying to forget. Guilt must be worked through, healed, and thus overcome. Forgiveness exacts a price, first of all, from the person who forgives. He must overcome within himself the evil done to him. He must, as it were, burn it interiorly and in so doing, renew himself. As a result, he also involves the other, the trespasser, in the process of transformation, of inner purification. And both parties suffering all the way through and overcoming evil are made new. I mean, that seems so true to me. Just recently, I found something of this from a critical letter I received, kind of making a judgment from afar. I don't know what you would have done in such a circumstance, but I wanted to respond with force, with a real zinger, make them pay, show them their ignorance. Maybe you've had a similar experience. Not a whole lot of inner purification happening there, right? In Jesus, reconciliation with God has been achieved and the reproach of the devil has been removed. Now the task is to be trained in this reconciliation, to make it our own by the way in which we seek reconciliation with one another.